0: Sheep, oh my God, I puedo not control that. Move it to see, Excuse
1: me, why i kiss the sky? The sun comes up over the Santa Monica for the
2: fall. Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch. Anyway, here's Wonderwall.
0: <laughs> what?
2: It's a show <laughs> where we do deep dives into the histories of famous songs and musicians, stuff that you should know. But no, we're not judging you for not knowing it. I'm a V what? Rubenstein.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm Lindsay Tucker. Hello. My
2: best my best intro yet.
0: It's really nailing it. I'm really impressed. Yes.
2: How was has your how's your week been, Lindsay?
0: Uh really freaking stressful, actually. Um, oh no. How was your week?
2: My week is was good.
0: Good, good. <laughs> Fine. Great.
2: Not as stressful as yours, I think, but still pretty stressful. I'm getting ready to make a movie, I think, trying to cast a couple of roles. Cool. Yeah. That's it.
0: All right. What's the movie about? It's,
2: have, it's, a, it's about witches Oh. and dead bodies and whatnots.
0: Oh, wait. I already read this one. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. What an an intro to today's episode we have done.
0: Great job. Can't wait to see what you do do, with it in editing.
2: It's it's all out. It's like we start like two minutes into the episode. Go. Um, So today we are going to be talking about the 1995 Mega Super Smash hit.
0: Wonderwall.
2: Yeah. uh, 90s January continues, I guess. I know. uh, We are so into the
0: 90s right now. Next week is going to be 90s too
2: i know i think i think that it's that's just we got to embrace it yeah. uh mega super dorm room frat party hit Wonderwall by oasis or is it before we do that uh, uh we have a little bit of mailbag from amanda kremers <laughs> classic
0: this is from amanda kremers on twitter who says at lyrics for lunch i'm just looking for excuses to use Calipigian in my everyday life now so thank you for that
2: you're welcome amanda well, well, there's going to be some choice words that you can use in sentences uh, after this episode, too. So, Wonderwall. I was woefully uninformed about Oasis before researching this. I woe-fully? knew just a few things. Woefully. <laughs> okay. Compared to what I am now, which is informed. Um, but I knew a couple things about Oasis. So, so, let me ask you, what do you know about the band Oasis? They're British. Correct. Nailed it.
0: <laughs> um, they had some songs like Don't Look Back in Anger. Mm-hmm. And no, that is Don't Look Back in Anger. So Sally Can Wait. Um, yes. Yeah. Same song. And I once heard the guy. What's his name? Like Neil something.
2: Mm-hmm. Nailed it.
0: <laughs> I heard him giving an interview and he was like, I saw a girl on the street and I decided to write a song about her. And that was uh, Sally Can Wait.
2: Sally, who can wait and don't look back in anger. <laughs> so, all I knew about Oasis was that it they were like kind of basically Beatles knockoff, right? They like really wanted to be the Beatles, mm-hmm. and that the two brothers in the band, Liam and Noel Gallagher, hated each other.
0: They hated each other. I didn't know that they they
2: hate they, they continue to hate each other. Okay, and so today we're going to talk about their biggest song. Wonderwall and basically Oasis versus everyone. All of the fights that they have ever picked, which are numerous.
0: So <laughs> with with other people? With everyone. We'll okay.
2: With everyone. Um okay, so a little Oasis history courtesy of Julia Rose Harmon in Medium. So the evolution this is Julia. The evolution of Oasis. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a sentence. <laughs> What is your history with this song?
0: Oh, you skipped that. Uh, I liked it. I had the CD. I belted it out in the car.
2: What's? Do you know the C, What the CD is called? Do you remember?
0: Uh, something about sunshine.
2: Nailed it. What uh, is it? Wonderwall is on Oasis's second studio <laughs> album, which is called What's the Story, Morning Glory?
0: Morning Glory, Sunshine. It's definitely the same thing.
2: Yeah, you, you're fine. You're good. <laughs> um, so a little Oasis history courtesy of Julia Rose Harmon and Medium. The evolution of Oasis goes as so. They started out as The Rain, which is actually the name of a Beatles a Beatles cover band yeah yeah uh, and then they changed their name to Oasis in 1991 when no- so that so only Liam Gallagher was in the band with like three other members and okay. then in 1991 Noel Gallagher returned to their hometown of Manchester he discovered that Liam had formed this band Liam asked his brother Noel to become a member and Noel agreed to join only under the condition that he would have complete control over the group's image, artistic decisions.
0: <laughs> what?
2: Yeah, so he's just like, I can, I'll do it if I'm the boss.
0: And then Liam was like, Okay, okay, mate.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and so this this was like, I wouldn't say this didn't start the friction that these two brothers had for their whole life, but this contributed to it. And the, the brothers couldn't, at one point, the brothers couldn't even be interviewed together because they would constantly fight. Oh, my God. One of the only things they seemed to agree on about Oasis was the band's name, Oasis. And it was called that because of a tour poster in their bedroom. But even then, Noel was skeptical of the band's name because he said it sounded more like a reggae band.
0: What? Okay. Do we have a video clip of them fighting?
2: Uh, we have many.
0: Okay, good. Good,
2: good. Like, like too many, <laughs> in fact. Okay. There's stuff that I had to cut out. Uh, after attending intensive practices and performing locally, the band finally found and begged this dude, Alan McGee, who is the head of Creation Records, to listen to their demo. And McGee was impressed with their work and he signed the band and he helped them to produce their first album in 1994. And that was called Definitely Maybe. And Definitely Maybe became the fastest selling debut album in British history.
0: And one of the cutest Ryan Randall movies of all time.
2: Right. So this is the cover of Definitely Maybe. This is like the the album cover of Definitely Maybe.
0: Um, this appears to be a house with some trees in front of it.
2: Nailed it. So that is actually John Lennon's childhood home. Okay. Uh, Pitchfork's, (laughs) Pitchfork said this about Definitely Maybe. Definitely Maybe doesn't exactly scream generation defining point of national pride or the next Beatles. And for all of its call to immortality, there's some poignant self-doubt happening on the song Live Forever. It's an honest, aspirational sentiment, just as the photo of John Lennon's childhood home on the, on the single sleeve is an honest, tasteful, tasteful exhibition of fandom. Oasis is this sarcasm? Was... No, I don't think so.
0: What? Come on. This is not an honest, tasteful decision of I, fandom. I, I agree. <laughs> okay.
2: I fucking agree um oasis was trumped up as a positive rebuttal to to grunge and their downtrodden fatalism but it's hardly all eternal sunshine and unwrinkled skin in fab four terms it's a lot more lennon mccartney than mccartney lennon a knowing fantasy about breaking away from history while while paying debt to it at the same time who wrote this uh pitchfork yeah
0: these guys need to give it up
2: so this is uh, this is Live Forever from definitely maybe. This was like their one of the big hits. Th- this record had a ton of hits. We'll talk a little bit about it.
1: Right. Maybe I don't really wanna know how you got in because I just wanna fly lately. You ever feel the pain in the morning rain as it soaks you to the pone? Maybe I just wanna fly, wanna live but I wanna Maybe I just wanna breathe, maybe I just don't believe, maybe all the same
2: So this sounds like a Beatles knockoff. Sure. And, and they will they love the fucking Beatles. Obviously. You'll, you'll see, hear them reference the Beatles lots and lots and lots of times. And they're pretty open about how much they love the Beatles, unlike certain other kind of knockoff bands, like Greta Van Fleet, that's like, we like Aerosmith, too. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you fucking like Bud one and that's it. <laughs> so definitely maybe went to number one in the U.K. and number 58 in the U.S., But it went to number one on U.S. Billboard's Heat Seekers chart, which is like an artist to watch sort of thing. Yeah. okay. And as I mentioned, it was the fastest selling debut in British music history. Um, It went platinum in the U.S., Japan, New Zealand, Canada, and eight times platinum in the U.K. Wow. So some of the accolades rapid fire (laughs) because there's a lot of them. In 1997, Definitely Maybe was named the 14th greatest album of all time in a Music of the Millennium poll. Uh, conducted by hmv channel 4 the guardian and classic fm on channel 4's 100 greatest albums of all time countdown in 2005 the album was placed at number six in 2006 nme placed the album at number three of the greatest british albums ever behind the stone roses self-titled album and the smith's the queen is dead in a 2006 british poll run by nme and the guinness book of british hit singles this album was voted the best album of all time with Sgt. pepper's lonely hearts club band finishing second what q placed it at number five <laughs> of its greatest albums of all time in 19- 2006 enemy held it as the greatest album of all time the same year in 2008 q and hmv conducted a poll of the greatest british albums of all time and definitely maybe was number one again rolling stone ranked it at number 217 in its 2020 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. But in the 2011 list of the 100 best albums of the 90s, it was at number 78 and number 42 on the 100 best album debut albums of all time. And the German edition of Rolling Stone ranked the album 156 on the list of 500 greatest albums of all time. At Acclaimed Music, which is a web... It's like the Rotten Tomatoes of music. It calculates the favorably reviewed songs and albums and stuff. Definitely Maybe is ranked 15th most critically acclaimed album of the 90s and the 111th most critically acclaimed album of all time. Wow. So that's all 1994. So 1995 rolls around. Not to rest on their laurels. They have to, f- they have to follow up, Definitely Maybe. And of there's course. a lot of pressure to do so because this... this a record is like a huge, massive hit, and everyone fucking loves it. In 1995, they release What's the Story Morning Glory. And it became. Also
0: known as Good Day Sunshine.
2: Not at all. <laughs> no. Uh, it was released in 1995, and it became the fastest selling album in the UK since Michael Jackson's Bad. Shit. Yeah. This record propelled Oasis from being like a crossover indie act to a worldwide rock phenomenon. And it's seen by critics as a significant record in the timeline of British music, which was just starting to form as like what we call like Brit pop now. Mm-hmm. What's the story? morning glory sold a record breaking 345,000 copies in its first week at the U- uh, first week in the UK. It spent 10 weeks at number one of the UK albums chart and it was the band's breakthrough in America reaching number four on the U.S. Billboard Top 200. And it went four times platinum in the U.S., which is four million sales.
0: But the other one went eight oh eight times platinum in the in U.K. In
2: in the U.K. Yeah. So, cr- but critics didn't like this album as much as Definitely Maybe.
1: Mm. How at, come? At,
2: at first, they didn't really know what to do with it because Definitely Maybe was like a little bit... More, less like a little bit beetle more beatlesy and what's the story morning glory was like a little bit more produced so there were like orchestral things and a little bit more inventive um but eventually the critics did warm up to to what's the story morning glory rolling stone ranked morning glory at 378 on its 2012 list of the 500 greatest albums of all time and 157 on the 2020 list so it like displaced definitely maybe and Spin has it at number seventy nine on their list of the best albums between eighty five and twenty fourteen, which is like a weird year. Why eighty five? And maybe that's when Spin started. I don't know. Hmm. This is a review from John Weederhorn from Rolling Stone, October eighteenth, nineteen ninety five. It's a four star review. Um, I'm now John. Many new rock bands leave the starting. Date hi, John. With... Hi, hi, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Many new rock bands leave the starting gate with fists flying, eager to batter down obstacles on the road to stardom. But few have been as hands-on as Oasis. In England, the band's popularity has almost as much to do with the number of black eyes and bloody noses that the brothers Noel and Liam Gallagher have inflicted on each other mm-hmm. as it does with the number of hit singles they've created. Ironically, this stormy relationship is also what makes their new album, What's a Story, Morning Glory, so galvanic. It's no secret that tension and instability have been inherent traits of great rock and roll teams, going as far back as Jagger and Richards. But Oasis, but for Oasis, the addition of shared genes gives their songs extra impact and dimension. No matter how much the Gallagher's fight or pose, their brotherly bond holds at the center. This inner confidence allows the group to flaunt its jaded arrogance like a five-man biker gang. <laughs> Whether it's revving on amplifier overload or coasting on pastel washed reverie it also permits oasis to borrow shamelessly from artists like the rolling stones t-rex the kinks small faces and especially the beatles without losing their own snide identity oasis's first album definitely maybe was a rebellious and attitude laden was rebellious and attitude laden, revealing the decadent dreams of working class British youths who watched The Kids Are Alright a few too many times. The music mixed Stone swagger with soaring melodies and titles like Rock and Roll Star, Supersonic, and Live Forever, which is what we heard, we heard Live Forever a second ago. Rock and Roll Star, Supersonic, and Live Forever conveyed the band's desire to transcend the mundane. But for all the supercilious sneering, the disc, as good as it was. Didn't quite live up to the hype. What's the story Morning Glory is more than a natural natural progression. It's a bold leap forward that displays significant musical and personal growth. Not to mention a far greater familiarity with the Fab Four's back catalog. Since pledging themselves to cigarettes and alcohol on their debut... Oasis have apparently had plenty of sex, done loads of drugs, and lived rock and roll to the limit. And now they're searching for something more. 27-year-old songwriter Noel Gallagher has crafted a number of tunes that downplay bravado in favor of self-discovery and even gulp sensitivity. Tell me how you feel about this.
0: (laughs) What are Um, your takeaways? That they tried to like... Edge up their or polish up their image a little.
2: Mm Hmm. Polish up their image, but like for the for the rock and like a sexy rock star. Yeah, exactly. So they're not they're not becoming nicer folks. They're just like we're more rock stars. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and also like literally everyone's like, oh yeah. First was like the Beatles, but the hits, and now they're like they're playing the Beatles, but B sides. Right. Right. Um. Which is, I think, a little ridiculous, but whatever. So I think now it's time to listen to Wonderwall.
1: You've heard it all before, but you never really had it out. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now.
2: Okay. Yes?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this this is just a George Mago. Oh, interesting
2: you say (laughs) that. (laughs) (laughs) So, fun fact: the cello sound that you're hearing right here, yeah, is actually a oh god, mellotron, uh, which is like a keyboard, like a little keyboard. Even okay. though in the video it's someone playing the cello.
0: Oh my god, that's great!
2: Yeah.
1: day but they'll never throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realized what you not to do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now And all the roads that lead you there were winding and all the lights and light the ways
0: video is kind of boring. good take (laughs) good take
2: no hot take this video is boring to to talk to you about all these things (laughs) (laughs) once again that cello is just not on this record (laughs) Um, we will do a little a, a quick explainer of who's who in the band okay Noel is the John Lennon and Liam is the George But with their with their with his sunglasses off, I cannot tell. I can't tell. Me either. And they're not they're not twins though. So what okay. do we think this song is about?
0: Oh shit, I forgot to think about that. Um,
2: <laughs> we could do a dive into the lyrics, but they are fucking gibberish.
0: Basically, it's like, today's the day that it's going to come back to you.
2: Nailed it. And... What, that fucking, what does that
0: mean? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like karma. But then at the end, he's like, today was going to be the day, but it's never coming back to
2: you. But the f- Yeah, and the fire in your heart is out.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, we've got the "I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now," mm-hmm. and all the roads we had to walk were winding.
2: Yep, you're get your head. All the
0: lights to light the way were blinding. Yeah, there is many things that I would like to say to you, but I don't know how because maybe you're gonna be the one that saves me. Okay, here we go. Okay, there's a struggle. <laughs> They're walking. They're, they're, trying to get, they're trying to get somewhere in this journey of relationship life, and it's a struggle. And once again, a dude thinks a girl's going to save him, mm-hmm. and she's called Wonderwall. Great. She is a Manic Pixie Dream Girl.
2: Oh, man. You're, you're, you, got, you got there eventually. <laughs> so this is from Song Facts. The general consensus is that the song is about Noel Gallagher's then-girlfriend, Meg Matthews, who is compared with a schoolboy's wall to which posters of footballers and pop stars were attached. He told Select Magazine at the time, it's about my girlfriend. She was out of work and a bit down on her luck. So I was just saying, cheer, cheer up and fucking get on with it. Oh. Noel later married and divorced Meg Matthews.
0: Fantastic.
2: Uh, this is from mike.com the song's influences are clear from its sound the song's meaning though is far less clear in 1996 noel told enemy that the song was about his then girlfriend but in 2002 Noel backtracked on the Mm. statement telling bbc the meaning of the song was taken away from me by the media who jumped on it because apparently his original statement it's about my girlfriend meg matthews was unclear
0: this sounds like a bernie situation
2: yeah, this is very much a Bernie Talbin situation. <laughs> so Liam later told uh, Rolling Stone in 1996, a Wonderwall can be anything. Okay. It's just a beautiful word. It's like looking for that bus ticket and you're trying to find, you're trying to fucking find it, that bastard, and you finally find it and you pull it out, fucking mega. That is me Wonderwall.
0: <laughs> what? That is me Wonderwall.
2: That is me Wonderwall. And
0: That's me Wonderwall. And
2: and Noel, in in backtracking the statement, right? So Noel said it was about his girlfriend and then not about his girlfriend. So Noel says, how do you tell your missus that it's not about her once she's already read that it is?
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: According to Matthews, the song is still about her. Uh, at least that was her intro on the health and fitness podcast, Alive and Kicking, with Claire McKenna, where she spoke about menopause in 2021. Sick. Yeah. And... The song's original title... This is back to song facts. The song's original title was Wishing Stone. No. Mm-hmm. And Please. After all, you're my wishing stone.
0: That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Bloody uh, ridiculous. Bloody
2: ridiculous. Uh, Noel Gallagher recounted in 2013 that the name came from a girl who he took back to his hotel. She had... The stone in her pocket that she insisted I have. And she said, and he said, what a great title. And the song came out of that the song was called wishing stone for a long time until one day the Gallagher's were listening to George Harrison's wonder wall music album. And Noel thought, brilliant. I've got a Beatles connection.
0: Oh my God.
2: So in, f- in, in, You called it George Ripoff Fashion. The music is based on Wonderwall music, which is an instrumental album that George Harrison wrote for the movie Wonderwall in 1968, and it was the first solo album released by any of the Beatles.
0: Incredible. Are we going to hear a little clip?
2: Oh, we are. You know it. (laughs) There are a couple clips that I couldn't find, but this one I definitely could. So this is Wonderwall to be here by George Harrison from the album Wonderwall Music. So I mean, it's not like a direct ripoff, but I get the vibe for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm just
0: waiting to hear how it builds.
2: This is just this is kinda absurd. Of
0: I like the artwork.
2: Yeah, it's cool. So the concept of the Wonderwall is based on the 60s film called Wonderwall. From psychedelia to surrealism, starring Jane Birkin, and the there's a woman who lives next door to a man who becomes fascinated with her. So he slowly makes holes in his wall so he can watch her through the <gasps> holes, and that is the Wonder Wall.
0: Oh my goodness!
2: <laughs> warning: that This movie, <laughs> according to song facts, <laughs> warning: This movie is supposedly terrible. <laughs> so Noel wrote the song and. He originally had planned to sing it himself. So Noel is the George Harrison fella, and Liam is the um, John Lennon fella. I don't know if I said that the same way before, but that is accurate. The song was originally titled "Wishing Stone" and began life on a rainy Tuesday night at the Rockfield Studios in Wales. Noel had planned to sing the track himself, but eventually gave it to Liam, whose vocals on the track the producer Owen Morrison hailed as rasping blues like he smoked a hundred cigarettes. What? Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean he probably had smoked a hundred cigarettes, but he probably had. Not I wouldn't call this rasping blues.
0: I wouldn't not call it rasping blues at all.
2: So uh this is from radiox.co.uk. Noel Gallagher tried to record Wonderwall sitting on an actual wall. What? So he <laughs> he made an aborted attempt to record the song while sitting on a wall outside the studio. This uh This is from the uh, YouTube documentary series Return to Rockfield. Rockfield is the name of the studio that they were in. Um, And this is also where the Stone Roses made the Second Coming and Queen recorded Bohemian Rhapsody. So it's like a, a hugely famous studio. So Noel Gallagher with... Rockfield Studios engineer Nick Bryan recalled the attempt at recording in the chilled environment of the Welsh countryside. Quote, I remember saying to Owen Morris, producer of the album, I've got this song called Wonderwall, and I want to record it on a wall. He went what on a weirdo. I remember a lot of sheep were watching me do Wonderwall.
0: Sheep? Oh my god.
2: <laughs> I don't know who was f- more freaked out, me or them. And it was fucking freezing. There were stepladders and a big fucking microphone stand. And then the owner of the studio, uh, whose name is Kingsley Ward, which is an amazing name, uh, he he showed up and he was very concerned about he was very concerned about about 20 grand worth of recording equipment and microphones just being laid open to the elements
0: outside on the wall
2: uh so noel goes on to say i remember saying into the mic to owen i think this is a shit idea and he was like no this sounds great what (laughs) but that but the recording of that is available and it made it onto the very start of the album so the song itself never came to fruition but the ambience of noel sitting on the wall is the very start of the album what's the story morning glory um A brief snippet of the outdoor attempt at playing Wonderwall can be heard just before the opening track of the album, Hello. So the opening track is called Hello.
0: Heard it. Got it. Nailed it. Locked it in.
2: Here we go. So you can hear the beginning of Wonderwall with the... uh... Mm Mm-hmm. Birds and whatnot, and then it goes into hello.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: So, as I mentioned, what's the story? Morning Glory was a massive hit. It went four times platinum in the U.S., but the single Wonderwall did not go to number one in the UK. It was beaten out by a band called Robinson and Jerome and Never. their song "I Believe." What? Yeah.
1: I believe <clears> forever <throat> drop a frame
0: falls a flower grows. This went to number 1 in the 90s Yep <laughs>
2: and it staved <laughs> off a number 1 from Wonderwall So it's not like it was a slow week
0: So is this all from a movie?
2: I don't think so. It was a double A side with a song called Up on the Roof, which is a, is a song that I recognized.
0: That's hilarious and strange. But
2: more importantly, what's the story Morning Glory ignited and fueled a rivalry between Oasis and the band Blur for the fate and direction of British rock and roll? Okay. So this is back to Julia Rose Harmon at Medium. When Oasis and Blur started to grow into their styles, a new fringe movement called Britpop arose. And this is a pseudo-genre mostly reported as a marketing tool or cultural movement. Um, And it was new and it classified as sounding like a typical British alternative rock sound. Um, But it was mostly combative to American punk and grunge styles, right? So it's like, if you don't like punk, you don't like grunge, you like Britpop. Uh, And at this time, four bands commonly called the big four arose, which were Blur, Oasis, Suede, and Pulp. And although today Blur Blur and Oasis are seen as like the genuine big two
1: Mm mm-hmm oasis
2: was a band that had a simple and uncomplicated sound one that seemed to speak to the british masses noel gallagher is often referred to as the mastermind even though liam was the outspoken outlandish band member often taken to be the leader
0: didn't you tell me that liam gave rights away to Noel? Noel.
2: yeah so noel is the mastermind but liam was like the bad boy okay um, so, so Liam was taken to be the leader, even though that wasn't actually the case. Also, this wasn't like a legal document that these two brothers signed. Noel, no, obviously. well, me, yeah, sometimes it, sometimes they do have this stuff. It was like an unspoken agreement between the two of them. Um, so when Noel joined the band in 91, he noticed that the band's members had unrefined skills and to combat this, he created rhythms and melodies that were not complex or difficult to play. This proved to be a genius move as they grew to be beloved for their simplistic style. And at the same time that Oasis was gaining traction, Blur also started to become a mainstream band and they were a quintessential British band and they started to rub shoulders with Oasis. During the Brit Awards of 1995, Damon Albarn, who's like the genius behind Blur, let's say, uh, after Blur received four awards, which was unheard of at the time, said, I think this should have been shared with Oasis. Hmm. And Graham Coxon, who's the guitarist for Blur, said, yeah, much love and respect to them. Right. So like thank them from the stage, from the red carpet. This is actually something that I could not find a clip of. Okay. And then Oasis produced a song called Some Might Say, which is a single that reached number one on the charts. And Damon Albarn attended their celebration, he says, to congratulate them. And Liam reportedly came over to him and said, number fucking one, right in his face. And wow. Albarn remembers thinking, okay, we'll see about that. Right? So, so a feud is brewing. Hmm. So... It comes to a head in 1995. This is all before what's the story morning glory comes out. At this point Oasis and Blur had both their latest albums, their new albums scheduled for a release in fall of 1995. Blur's in September and Oasis's What's the Morning Story, What's the Story Morning Glory in October. And this generally wasn't a problem because the albums could be released and they wouldn't interfere with the progress of one another. It was the release dates of their singles clashed. Uh, oasis had scheduled their single "Roll with it to be released one week before blur's single country house so the problem with this is explained by music executive andy ross who was the head of the record label that blur was on and he said we thought that oasis was mad but the thing is a number one record tends to have a better than even chance of being number one the week after just because uh, it's on the top of the pops and all the kids hear it and that means that because oasis had scheduled their single one week before blurs it would most likely stay as number one not giving blur a chance to compete this mm-hmm. is why the release date had to be moved so the decision was to release roll with it at the same day that blur released country house which was August 14th.
0: Okay, but who's agreeing to this?
2: Um I th- I believe Blur moved their release up one week. Okay. To to have like a chance. Okay. The date of both the releases was now set for August 14th, and the atmosphere was tense. Both <laughs> both bands were ready to claim the prize that they thought was rightfully theirs. So uh, let's take a listen to both songs. This is Country House by Blur. Okay. What? So this is... Okay. okay. It's catchy. It's catchy. Does the does his voice remind you of anything, by the way? This is just a total side side quest.
0: Um, I don't know.
2: After Blur disbanded, Damon Albarn started Gorillaz. No way. He is the guy from Gorillaz.
0: No way!
2: He is actually the only Gorillaz. Because <laughs> everyone else is like a traveling...
0: right wow i never never
2: yeah his voice is like so etched into my brain um okay now let's take a look at let's take a listen to roll with it which is oasis's single from the exact same day they're kind of both great songs I actually really mm-hmm. like them both
0: yeah to me this one feels a little bit more like a hit
2: is it because you've heard it before or
0: it's just like a more impressive production yeah the, to so me. the
2: production value of this record is incredibly great and it's so big this is like yeah. the bigness that, that they were talking about right yeah um, okay continuing on this is okay. still medium. The thing about the rivalry was that it was about more than a title or even music. It was a battle between the British class systems. Blur was from the South, which by stereotypes meant that the bandmates were better educated and more financially stable than Oasis, who were from the North. None of Oasis bandmates went to college. And before their musical career, they spent time as, co- spent time as construction workers. Oasis dubbed Blur art school wankers.
0: Oh, cute.
2: While the press (laughs) deemed Oasis to be working class heroes. The problem was that that not that either statement was more or less true, but that the public seemed to be invested in this one dimensional view of the band. So clearly the media loves this this rivalry.
0: Of course they do.
2: And Blur at this point was seen as inauthentic and ingenuine because they were art school wankers. Hmm. And they were competing over the number one spot, which gets you on top of the pops, which was like their version of TRL, but like way more, way bigger. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, And so Oasis was almost guaranteed to win and bookies gave Oasis six to four odds in their favor. But when the time came, Blur won. They sold 58,000 more copies of
0: Blur won!
2: of of country house, then Oasis sold a roll with it, and so they went. So they win, They won the battle of the top of the pops, and they performed on the top of the pops, bathing in their sweet victory. <laughs> and Alex James of Blur even wore an Oasis shirt, no, further antagonizing their rivals. So I think the wearing a Oasis shirt could be seen as like an olive branch. Like, like, It could. We like, we we wanna like sh-
0: Oasis. <laughs> we want to share. <laughs> right.
2: We want to share this. Just like they said but the year before, we want to share this award with Oasis. Right. Uh, you know, Oasis didn't take it like
0: that. <laughs> I'm sure they did not. So what did they do?
2: So truth is often described as Blur won the battle, but Oasis won the war. Because <gasps> when the two albums came out. Blur's The Great Escape hit number one, naturally, but never received the same recognition as What's the Story, Morning Glory, complete with the hit song Wonderwall. What's the Story, Morning Glory became the fourth best-selling album of all time in the UK and beloved in America as well. And Blur had never been able to cross over into America. Yeah. So in the 1995 British music awards which were so this is this is like a tough date thing uh this was the 1995 british music awards but it was held in early 1996 yeah uh oasis won three awards leaving blur with nothing and in their acceptance speech oasis mocked blur by singing the lyrics of one of their songs so would you like to see that (laughs)
0: Yes. Are we sure this wasn't a kind hearted tribute? Uh,
2: well, <laughs> why don't we take a look? Okay. Oasis.
3: It seemed like a long time since Noel worked as a guitar roadie for Inspiral Carpet.
4: It looks like it could be Oasis Evening tonight. This is their second award at the Brits in '96
5: who's tough enough to come and take us off this stage we're going to talk all night now. She's right.
3: In the best right. producers we've ever I'd like to run. thank
5: all the fans, all the people who make us what we are. I'd like to thank um, all the people.
1: All oh, oh, people. people. So many people.
3: <laughs> and so they walk the song, yeah. Yeah. and hands, Dines, and dance through their short life. I, I, if anybody's got a demo tape, send it to this man, Alan McGee. Creation records. This is what it's about. Um, okay.
2: Okay. That so was belligerent. Give go, give it a second. Now, Gets oh, worse. Oh, keep
5: going?
0: Oh, okay. You're, you're having a laugh.
5: Before we go any further, like, surely like, the security of this place can stand up. More than fucking ginger bollocks to throw us off the stage. <laughs> no,
1: you,
3: you he don't
1: called
2: know. the host a ginger, ginger
5: bollocks. A ginger bloke <laughs> I cannot throw away off the stage, so come on.
3: We don't need to go. We want you to stay here because uh,
0: you be- to the microphone. You performed it in Earl's Court.
2: And now he's shoving the <gasps> award up his ass.
0: Oh my god.
2: Okay. So. They won three awards that night. Would you like to see what they said when they won their other awards?
0: Oh, my God. Do I? I guess. I guess I'm in it for the long haul now.
2: So uh, for this video that you don't particularly care for, they won video of the year. And for
0: Wonderwall. For
2: Wonderwall. And so I want to. Uh, they were given the award by, um, by Bono of U2, and I want... You to see what they were up against and what they did when they won. Here
3: are the nominations for the best video.
4: Hulk for common people.
2: One of the greatest of all
4: Oasis time. Oasis, Wonderwall. Boring. Blur, Country House. Mm. Take that back for good. Let's take that. And Radiohead for just one of the greatest of videos of all time. All right,
1: and the winner is for
3: the best video. Oasis, Wonderwall.
2: Okay, so, strap in.
4: The never Last year, of course, the year when Blur won four Brits, Oasis won the Best Newcomer Award. So this could be the start of something good for Oasis, the Best Video
1: Award.
5: Well, for one right, I heard Michael's gonna give me a slap right on the face, so come on! And for another, I'd just like to say, um,
3: Sausages. Thanks to, um, it was the kids who directed What's it? What's happening? Like Nigel. Uh, thanks, thanks to Nigel Dick, I mean it's a bad name, but there you go, never mind. There um, you go, never mind, you know what I mean? There we, we go. There we go, there we went. Got an to say except for I'm extremely rich and you lot
0: aren't.
3: Uh, wow. And I'm not even in it. As Beans shouldn't present fucking awards to gonna Beans.
2: And Bono's yes. just about to fucking kick their ass
0: well, Oh my Oasis god here,
2: Okay so yeah He says has-beens should never Give awards to gonna-be's
0: Yep Which Heard is it.
2: objectively a hilarious thing to say To Bono <laughs> in 1996 Okay right. and, and then we have another Award that they win at the end of the night Um So here we go This is Here's Pete Townsend races. giving them an award
3: It's a hand trick of Brits, of course, for Oasis. Uh, best video, best album, and now,
0: best
4: British group. And um,
0: how
2: So this is them for best British group. Great. Are
0: they spring
3: champagne? Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't anyone there?
5: We've not got a lot to say, though. Right? But I don't know if they like It's all a fakeness thing, right? We knew we were going to do it. Anyway, so um, that is it. Can I say? a lot? Hello, mom and
3: Dad. Oi! There are seven people in this room tonight who are giving a little bit of hope to young people in this country. That is me, our kid, Bonehead, Quigsey, Alan White, Alan McGee and Tony Blair. And if you've all got anything it's about it, you get up there and you say Tony Blair's hand, man. He's a man. Power to the people!
0: so humble
2: so humble so uh we can talk a little bit about tony blit the tony blair comment but basically chumba wumba was right oasis was a bunch of champagne drinking wankers yes um that would fucking thanking the prime minister you fucking ponces dude i
0: can't i that was just so embarrassing yeah
2: So, uh back to medium. After the clear victory of Oasis, the Britpop movement slowed and eventually stopped altogether. Blur finally got a hit in America with Song 2. Uh they had started to drift into styles more connected with American bands like Pavement and Beck. And ironically, this is the song that is most unlike any of their other songs. Are you familiar with Song 2? This no. is You Are. Uh oh. Here here it is. It's the only blur song Americans know.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, some people call it Woohoo.
0: Woohoo! <laughs>
2: <laughs> which, like, this song rips. Totally. Um, okay, so. Years. And
0: I can start to see how we he got into
2: To Gorillas. To gorillas, yeah. exactly. He's a he's a, a superb musician. I love him. Yeah. Um and years later, he was asked who he thought was better, Blur or Oasis.
0: <laughs>
2: so would you like to hear what he has to say? I would. The answer may surprise you.
0: Ooh.
5: Our editor would like to know who you think was better, you lot or Oasis.
4: Well, that's not a very grown-up question for Newsnight, is it? I'll pass mm-hmm. that on. I think Oasis were better. Do you? Yeah, you I think they, I do. I do. I think they. I think they were. They were uh, better at communicating who they were than we were.
2: So, Blur was not the only Britpop band that oasis feuded with of course not so now we are into act three oasis versus radiohead
0: oh wow okay
2: so the standard bear torch was not passed willingly or peacefully between oasis and radiohead um they have regarded each other with open disgust almost from the beginning (laughs) of their careers When, what's the story, Morning Glory was the rage in England, Tom York used to spit out the occasional piss-taking cover of Wonderwall in concert. He considered Oasis a joke, a bunch of guys who act stupid and write really primitive music.
0: They did act stupid.
2: Would you like to hear Tom York's cover of Wonderwall?
0: I sure would.
2: Oh, man. It's bad. It's bad.
1: Today is gonna be the day that you're going run back to you. By now you should realize what you got to do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. And all the roads that lead to you are winding. All the blind to <laughs> there are many ways that I would like to sing to you, but I don't know
0: how. So that was a lyric change. Said maybe. So he was saying he doesn't know how to sing
2: uh right and so this video cuts out yeah it just stopped so so it cuts out mid-chorus but uh it cuts out just a a hair too early because in the actual recording a voice in the background says is this abysmal or what it's always good to make fun of oasis (laughs) noel gallagher similarly similarly targeted targeted radio heads uh aesthetic weak spots when bashing them in the press laughing at what he saw was the band's class class class-based pomposity no matter quote no matter how you sit here twiddling going we're all doomed at the end of the day people will always want to hear you play creep (laughs) he said that (laughs) he said that in 2007 before adding get over it
0: oh my goodness well it's just to a, a shame to hear these people acting so immature.
2: Oh, this isn't the last time that Noel Gallagher publicly trashed Radiohead. In a 2011 interview with The Quietus, he slammed the Radiohead album King of Limbs. Quote, I heard that fucking Radiohead record. I'll just go off. What? I like to think what we do, what we do fucking well. Tell them writing a song about a fucking tree. Give me a break. A fucking tree a thousand year old tree go fuck yourself
0: wow this guy's anger (laughs) problems
2: um i also heard in urban legend that creep was written as a fuck you to oasis in the first place so that tom york could show how easily it was to write an oasis type song but that doesn't seem to have any evidence anywhere and creep came out in 1993 so Mm -hmm. it definitely isn't about oasis because oasis's first record came out in 94 if it's about anyone at all um there, there are a couple of oasis urban legends that being one of them the other one which is a quote that i could not find fucking anywhere was uh someone said that one of the gallagher boys said if what's the story morning glory had come out before abbey road no one would know who the beatles were but I couldn't find. I believe that he said that with all of my heart, but I could not find <laughs> any sort of quote.
0: And uh, it goes without saying that if nobody knew who the Beatles were, that album wouldn't come out.
2: Correct. <laughs> um, so act four, Oasis versus Green Day.
0: Oh, my God. How many acts are there?
2: A lot. Well, they yeah. were, they were uh, mad at a lot of people.
0: Why were so they at
2: green day? so in 2004 green day released american idiot which became their biggest selling record of all time and their biggest single from that record was boulevard of broken dreams for our younger listeners there was a two-year period where you could absolutely not listen to the radio for five minutes without hearing that song
0: or walk into a store
2: or walk in a- <laughs> fucking anywhere yeah. So according to Contact Music, Gallagher said, if you listen, you'll find it's exactly the same arrangements as Wonderwall. They should have the decency to wait until I'm dead before stealing my songs. I at dead. least pay people I steal from that courtesy.
0: Um. All right. Let's hear it.
2: Well, so the comparison between the two songs was immortalized when a DJ named Party Ben created a mashup called Boulevard of Broken Songs. Um, and it and it combines Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Wonderwall, a Travis song called Writing to Reach You, and Eminem's Sing for the Moment. Um, and the album that this is on is called American Edit. So I don't even have to do a side by side. Someone has done the mixing for me. Woohoo! Uh, I remember listening to this, to this exact remix in college at really? parties. Yeah. Okay. So here are the guitars from the two songs, right?
1: I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known.
0: Don't know where it goes, but I like can't tell them apart right now. <laughs>
2: Today is gonna be the day well,
0: gonna throw it back see.
2: Now you have them both at the same
1: time. somehow realize what I you got to do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do watching now My shadows all in one watch This is a really me. good ring
2: Yeah My Uh yeah this was like early in the days of mashups and I was fucking, I loved it <laughs> in 2006
0: <laughs> I mean this one it kind of blew my mind a little.
2: Yeah, you can keep listening to it. So this is the Travis song.
0: Okay. So where do you stand? Did Green Day steal Oasis?
2: Mm, steel is steel is a interesting <laughs> word, but it's definitely the same song. Yeah. But the song is not all that like complex or inventive, you know? Sure.
0: I also never really liked Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Until now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Boulevard of Broken Dreams kind of does not slap. This is the only palatable version of it.
1: Read between the lines. What's tough and everything's alright. <laughs> Dreams. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you i walk this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do When the city sleeps and I'm the only one I-
0: I really wish Oasis didn't turn out to be such apples. Nice. Yeah.
2: So, if Green Day stole it from Oasis, Oasis stole it from. So Gallagher didn't just decry Boulevard of Broken Dreams. He attacked Green Day as a whole because, of course, he did. Of course. Quote, they consider consider themselves to be, and I quote, kick-ass rock and roll band. They could not be less kick-ass if they tried.
0: What is this guy's problem?
2: Yeah, I don't know, man.
0: He's such a little shit. He probably has a small dick.
2: Probably. But what if I told you that Wonderwall is a cover?
0: Uh, if wonderwall was a cover
2: from the 1950s
0: i would not be surprised if this little prick stole the song and then <laughs> cleaned it as his own convinced himself he was a genius and told the whole world about it
2: well let's listen to mike flowers <laughs> okay singing wonderwall
0: <laughs> oh my god what No, this is not in 1950. (laughs) Why do you say that? Because I have eyeballs.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so clearly the video is not from the 50s. No. So this is from feelingnumb.com or feelnumb.com. Uh, this guy, Mike Flowers, was recruited by BBC Radio 1 and the DJ Kevin Greening to cover hits of 1995 for the, like, the Saturday show. And Wonderwall was the first week's project. And Chris Evans is another DJ. And he heard that the song made it to the single of the week on his Radio 1 breakfast show. And he told listeners that this was the original version and the Oasis version is a ripoff.
0: And did he do that to be funny or because he was misinformed?
2: No clue. Okay. Uh, the, the, and this <laughs> single was issued by London Records under the name The Mike Flower Pops. And this, was, this single came out while the original was still on the UK charts. Wow. And, and this one hit number 10. Shut up. And peaked at number two uh, for the Christmas 95 charts.
0: What did Noel have to say about this?
2: Oh, interesting question. <laughs> so Oasis had previously refused to let any other novelty acts parody the song, but they were said to have enjoyed Flowers' tape so much that they allowed the group to cut it. But we have a little link. We have a little interview of, of them talking about finding out that they had stolen their song.
4: Somebody, somebody on Radio 1, when they first played it, said that they'd found the original Wonderwall. They played it on Radio 1, as and the premise was ah oh, they're blagging bastard they found this tune from the 50s i got a fucking phone call i was in the states off someone going did um you know wonderwall and i'm going oh yeah man yeah and they're going you did write that didn't you yeah well there's only there's this tune during the rounds in england that they're claiming mean, and i was like really and somebody played at me down the phone and i was like you bunch of dicks
2: Yeah, so this hoax, people, people bought, bought into this hoax. All right, act five, Oasis oh versus God. Jay-Z. No. Yeah, so this one's from the star. Noel Gallagher thought, so in 2008, Jay-Z headlined the Glastonbury Music Festival, mm-hmm. and Noel, Gall- Noel Gallagher, for no particular reason, thought that that was the wrong choice. Uh, he's speaking to BBC News. He said it was not a good idea for them to deviate from the festival's usual headliners, (gasps) mainly bands. Quote, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you start to break it, then people aren't going to go. I'm sorry, but Jay-Z, no chance. Glastonbury has a tradition of guitar music, and even when they throw the odd curveball in on a Sunday night, you go, Kylie Minogue, I don't know about it, but I'm not having hip-hop at Glastonbury. It's wrong.
0: Okay, so he's a racist?
2: Uh, yep.
0: Can we just get through one episode without a raging racist?
2: No, because they don't. Ex- <laughs> they, no, that doesn't exist. Okay, great. Um, so Jay Z was asked to comment on it, and we can hear what he has to say on this uh, this this video here. Yeah.
5: yeah, now, being a lot of controversy, being some hate, people saying they don't, you know, Noel Gallagher, an established, respected was respected artist saying he doesn't uh, want you at Glasgow. he wasn't right how, how you felt with that man how you you've never had that before never people had people always wanted to see you Jay You're yeah but you know
2: I mean you know that sometimes you know uh, remarks are made out of ignorance if, if no Gallagher see me perform and he said that then I understand that you know that's a personal opinion and I can't uh, you know,
1: I have no uh, bearing on how he feels, you know, you know, it's just not your taste, mm.
2: you know, but he's never seen me perform. I'm sure Obviously, he wouldn't say that, you know, no, we'll I'm... see what happens after exactly. night, though. Yeah, exactly. This is not. what it looks oh, like. Exactly. So, classy. Very classy. Uh, slightly less classy is what happens. He says, we'll see what happens after tonight. So v- famously, Jay-Z goes out at Glastonbury and does oh. this.
0: Oh, great. Can't wait.
2: I don't think this is unclassy, by the way. Okay. Wow.
0: Just like a few hours later.
2: Yeah. So once again, I think that this is could be seen as like affection, but clearly
0: It's not. It's not. He doesn't even know the words.
2: No, of course he doesn't.
0: <laughs>
2: this just in Jay-Z doesn't know the words to Wonder Wall. <laughs> He actually does more of them than I would expect. True. He might have a problem
0: there. (laughs) He got the beginning all wrong.
2: He looks like he's having a fucking time over there. Yeah, he
0: does. And that's his. This is what he came out with. Yeah. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. This is his open. That's the Great Festival. is like unfathomably big. It's
0: humongous. Terrifies me a little. That was great it's so
2: good right and that song is like an incredible song yeah um so there's one cover of wonderwall that oasis thinks is better than the original which is high high praise from a band who thinks so highly of themselves for real and it's yeah and it's from our problematic fave ryan adams
0: oh i was gonna die if you said eric clapton
2: (laughs) oh no fuck Uh. that i wouldn't even play it so this is ryan adams he uh (laughs)
0: <laughs> Basically, there,
2: well, there was like a covers album that he did, and um, this is this is Ryan Adams' cover of Wonderwall. <laughs> so many fucking covers of Wonderwall.
1: Today's gonna be the day that they're gonna give it back to you. So yeah,
2: I don't think that this is a good cover. This is at not all. good. This is In fucking fact, boring. I'd as like hell. to stop listening to it. Uh, okay, so Act Seven.
0: Oh my god, I got to get some Cheez-Its or something for Act Seven.
2: Oasis versus Oasis.
0: Yeah, no, this is the moment I've been waiting for.
2: So th- th- this is a actually like a timeline from both. Rolling Stone and Pitchfork? Not together, but I like created it. Mm-hmm. They both did their own timelines and I like mixed them together. Okay, great. So, I'm going to be alter alternately Rolling Stone and Pitchfork. When it comes to rock feuds, few are as entertaining as the one between Oasis's Liam and Noel Gallagher. The swaggering brother's longstanding beef, which stretches back to childhood, was much a part of the band's mythology as its devotion to the Beatles. Literally not a single fucking interview or article about Oasis doesn't mention the Beatles or its fondness for alcohol-fueled antics. Even though Oasis broke up in 2009, spoilers, following years of threats on the part of either Gallagher brother, the feud continues to this day with the estranged brothers trading barbs in the press and social media
0: the hell do they have any other siblings
2: i think they have one more uh to truly understand the scope of the gallagher brothers bad blood this is a history of their conflicts from the laughably petty to the somewhat serious so sometime in the 1970s the feud begins by their own admission, the Gallagher brothers have been at each other's throats basically since Liam was born. Chalk it up to the usual sibling rivalry dynamics or a potent combination of ambition and ego, which both brothers have in spades. But the antics for which they, are later, they later become known er, started early on. One example is in the excellent oasis documentary supersonic which was released in 2016 liam reveals that during one of their fights quote one night i come in pissed and i couldn't find the light switch so i pissed all over noel's new stereo
0: oh my god
2: i think it basically boils down to that okay so they start oasis and they're out on tour so 1994 so if they
0: fucking hate each other why do they start a band together
2: i don't fucking know because what else is there to do in manchester So they start the band after, so in 1994, Noel quits Oasis's first American tour. So this is after Definitely Maybe was released in 94 and quickly vaulted to the top of the charts in the UK. And they did what many British bands have done before them, which is they tried to conquer America, but things didn't go exactly as planned. During a gig at the Whiskey A Go-Go in September of 1994, the band allegedly got high on crystal meth. What? This is from far out magazine in the UK. On September 29th, 1994, the band arrived at Soundcheck at one of the most important and famous rock venues in the world, which is the Whiskey A Go-Go in Los Angeles. And the band had dreams of emulating some of the greatest rock and roll acts of all time. Think Led Zeppelin, The Who, The Doors, everyone in between. Their penchant for the rock and roll lifestyle had led them to look for cocaine. but Of course. But they accidentally found themselves (laughs) Ninja Speed, the drug Crystal Meth
0: okay they found crystal meth somewhere
2: yeah green room instead of cocaine
0: stands we
2: don't know (laughs) they just bought it liam reflected on the incident in the supersonic documentary i don't know who the fuck got it but it was there and we all thought it was coke and we were doing big fucking lines of it and it just kept us awake for days Oh God, with the huge intru- beating each other up. With a huge introduction from the MC calling them the best band in the universe, Liam sauntered on stage with a frazzled look and told the audience, "This fu- the fucking band aren't coming tonight, you've just got me. And what followed was a truly terrible set, quite possibly one of the worst you'll ever see or hear. It was a performance full of undul- undulating... Incidents of rock and roll infamy, it was a set full of issues including exploding bass amps, Noel playing songs completely different from the rest of the band, Liam threatening the audience after one crowd surfer nearly kicked over his mic, Noel singing with a camp tone, Liam therefore can't be bothered to sing and sits down halfway through most of his songs. The the brotherly fights begin. Liam gets right up into Noel's face, tells him to go fuck himself, and then bops him on the head with a tambourine. The singer then offered another view of the particular incident, saying, he's lucky I didn't launch a monitor at him or something, or even a fucking drummer. Liam then went into a crazed animal mode, paces the stage like an angry tiger until thankfully the set ends. Liam walked off stage and then straight out onto Sunset Boulevard with a towel wrapped around his neck, And and Noel Fled to San Francisco quitting the band for Two weeks all because someone on their team Didn't know the difference between cocaine and crystal meth.
0: don't do drugs
2: um, During That concert Liam changed the words Of live forever to annoy Noel quote maybe I don't Really want to know why you pick your nose Scathing stuff
0: So mature
2: you can actually listen To this concert uh, on YouTube you can listen to the whole thing there's no Video though unfortunately oh damn uh okay so 1995 wibbling rivalry (laughs) the not exactly a caricature of the perpetually squabbling gallagher brothers was cemented in 1995 when the bootleg symbol the bootleg single called wibbling rivalry was unleashed cheekily under the under the name oasis with an asterisk instead of the i like fucking how people do on twitter these days
0: okay (laughs) O
2: A S asterisk s yeah and all it consists of is an audio recording of an interview that the brothers did with enemy in early 1994 before definitely maybe was released and it's basically 14 minutes of bickering and insult flinging with noel comparing liam to a football hooligan and liam telling noel you can stick that thousand pounds right up your fucking ass till it comes out your fucking big toe
0: oh my god
2: but as for funny as but for as funny as wibbling rivalry is, and truly it's a must listen for any dedicated Oasis scholar, it also lays bare one of the central conflicts of Oasis's rise to stardom, the tension between the band's actual music and the hard party and the hard partying reputation the name Oasis would eventually become synonymous with. So nineteen ninety five. Liam invites a large group of people he just met at the pub to the studio where they were recording What's the Story Morning Glory. Okay. And Noel, who was trying to record, tells everyone to leave and he ends up hitting Liam over the head with a cricket bat.
0: Why do they have a cricket bat in there?
2: I don't fucking know. Naturally, the cricket bat was eventually sold with a certificate of authenticity, For ensuring how much? it's <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say on the this is recordmecca.com legendary cricket bat used by Noel Gallagher to of Oasis to attack his brother Leo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just wow. Uh, the, and it just says this item has been sold. Okay, 1996. The band's fame threatens to tear them apart. So Oasis hits the peak of their fame in 96, a year after Morning Glory comes out. Um, it vaulted this, the group to superstardom, and it was the year that the group broke through in the US. Wonderwall hit the Billboard Hot 100, and The band eventually performed Champagne Supernova at the MTV Video Music Awards. Mm -hmm. And back at home, Morning Glory was on its way to becoming one of the best-selling UK albums of all time, and the band played Nebworth House in Hertfordshire, England, a gig that fully a quarter of the population of England tried to see. Wow. Which is, by the way, one of the things that they would eventually rub in Blur's face about this concert. Sure. Sure. Uh, but at that, le- but that level of success was calamitous for two people as cocky and volatile as Liam and Noel. <laughs> all of the cocaine that they were using, by their own admission, probably didn't help. And after the Nebworth concerts, the band was due to record MTV Unplugged in London, but Liam claimed uh, a bout of laryngitis, oh. and he and he didn't perform. He didn't show up to rehearsal basically at all and didn't perform. But instead, sat in the crowd and heckled Noel, who was singing the Oasis songs. What? He was chain, you can see this. He, he was chain-smoking and guzzling beer. Then, just as the band was due to embark on, the, on an American tour, Liam decided he didn't want to go. Uh, allegedly <laughs> due to his house hunt with then-fiancé Patsy Kensett. And Noel says that that move later killed Oasis Stone Dead in America. Not one to be outdone by his kid brother, Noel himself said, fuck it, a few weeks later and returned to England in the middle of the tour. And the press had a field day with rumors of Oasis breaking up. The brothers uh, once again managed to patch things up for a little while anyway. And then in 1998, the brothers' battles were immortalized on Celebrity Deathmatch. So, of course, they ended up as the subject of MTV's claymation wrestling yeah, show. Good Celebrity Fight, Deathmatch. Good Night. Good Fight, Good Night. <laughs> uh they've given the writers plenty to work with after all in the battle the booze soaked brothers you can tell which one is which because liam has a unibrow (laughs) Uh, and they beat the shit out of each other in ways they probably only dreamed of in real life
4: but right now let's check back with stacy cornbread who's still in the locker room with the gallagher brothers stacy how's the mood back there
1: well, Johnny, as you can see, these two brothers may hate each other's guts, but there's one thing that can still bring them together, and that's the music. You're out of tune, you shaggy bumlicker. Piss off! you're the one that's out of tune. Oh, yeah. yeah? Come on, you bloody bastard. You want to have a go at me? Stacy, what's going on in there? Uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, all the way to- <laughs>
2: So yeah, it just goes on like this. They're Mm -hmm. they're brawling. We don't have to watch the whole thing, but okay. Yeah, I don't fucking know. Um, Okay, in two thousand, Noel quits again. Great. Uh, In the middle of the band's two thousand world tour, the Gallagher's got into a fight so bad, in which the younger brother Liam was to have questioned the legitimacy of his older brother's daughter. What? Yeah. So so Liam said that Noel might not be the father of his own daughter, Noel abruptly quit the band and the tour, and later Noel would tell the British music magazine Q, I've never forgiven him because he's never apologized.
0: Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's never apologized.
2: And he re- rejoined the band a year later once again for UK tour dates. Um in 2002 Liam walked off stage in Japan, Noel would later describe the incident as a diva fit, saying Liam threw his tambourine on the ground like a woman before <gasps> bouncing.
0: How sexist. A woman would never do something that childish.
2: I know. Note, once again, a tambourine mm-hmm. plays a crucial role in the two brothers' ongoing feud. <laughs> uh, in 2002, Liam reportedly kicked a police officer in the chest and, <laughs> is, and is involved in a fight with multiple people. And he's so badly beaten that he loses several teeth. Oh. And Noel, when asked for a reply, said, All I'm bothered about is can he still sing?
0: All right, so he has fake teeth, or does he?
2: I think so, yeah. In 2005, Noel claims that Liam is frightened to death of him. So, though Oasis were still recording albums and touring, even in 2005, the relationship between the Gallaghers was definitely frayed. They often took to the press to air their grievances or share petty beefs, and one of the most amusing instances came during a Spin interview in 2005, Mm -hmm. when Noel admitted that he was resorting to mental manipulation to get Liam to do what he wanted. Quote, I've kind of learned that instead of arguing stuff out with him and ending up in a fight, I work on his psychology, and he's completely freaked out by me now i can read i can read him and i can fucking play him like a slightly disused arcade game
0: oh my god
2: later noel would reveal that he used to mess with liam who was apparently afraid of ghosts by moving furniture around and making him think spirits did it
0: no that's not real
2: this is from rolling stone (laughs) uh in 2008 noel reacts to liam's interviews And he says, I don't know who that guy is who's in these interviews. He seems really cool because the guy I've been in a band with for the last 18 years is a fucking knobhead. Great. And in 2009, Noel quits Oasis for good. Finally, after nearly two decades of conflict, Noel quits Oasis. And he says, uh, this is the quote. This is his statement at the time. It is with some sadness and relief and great relief that I tell you that I quit Oasis tonight. People will write and say what they like, but I simply could not go on working with Liam a day longer. He's like a man with a fork in a world of soup.
0: What?
2: <laughs> He's like a man with a fork in, the, in a world of soup.
0: Sick burn.
2: Allegedly, this happened after a fight between the brothers and Liam got physical, eventually smashing one of Noel's guitars. Great. Um, and Noel snapped. And Liam later sued Noel over what he said was a false account of the events. He sued him. Yeah. This is a quote from Noel regarding that time. I think that this is what he got sued over. Uh, This is from Noel. Quote, Liam was quite violent. At that point, there hadn't been any physical violence, but... It was a bit like WWE wrestling and he was like Macho Man Randy Savage. He was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, and, <laughs> and all that going on. And it's like fucking hell. Liam does the fuck you and fuck you and fuck you, and he kind of storms out of the dressing room, and I'm glad it never ended like this. On the on the way out, he picked up a plum, and he threw it across the dressing room, and it smashed against the wall. And part of me wishes it did end like that. That would have been a great headline. Plum throws plum and finishes fucking oasis. <laughs> Then he kind of leaves. He goes to the dressing room. For whatever reason, he went to his own dressing room and came back with a guitar and he started wielding it like an axe. I'm not fucking kidding. And I'm making light of this because it's kind of what I do, but it's a real unnecessary violent act. And he's swinging the guitar around and he nearly took my face off with it. It ended up on the floor and I put it out of its misery. There were people who were in the band, not saying anything, kind of looking the other way. It wasn't even a big dressing room. And I was like, you know what? I'm fucking out of here. And at that point, the tour manager came in and said, five minutes. And I kind of got in the car and I sat there for five minutes and I said, fuck it. I can't do it anymore. Great. So in 2010.
0: Oh, no, no.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Liam snubs Noel at the Brit Awards. So Oasis were honored by the Brit Awards best album for the past 30 years, which was, what's the story? Morning Glory. Oh, okay. And in 2010, after they'd split for good, surprise, Liam showed up to accept the award, thanking all the other band members and the best fucking fans in the, wor- in the world <laughs> before throwing the award into the audience.
0: Great. Did anyone get hurt?
2: I don't think so. Uh, he did, however, leave one person out. His brother.
0: His brother.
2: And Aww. he later explained, I'm sick of it all being about me and Noel.
0: Then how about you shut your fucking trap and be chill?
2: Yeah. I mean, like, total coked-out narcissists. So in 2011, the feud enters the digital age as Liam discovers Twitter. No. Some celebrities, are, some celebrities use Twitter to connect with their fans. Some, like Noel, use it to promote their latest tour or new album. And since 2011, Liam has used Twitter for a number of things, posting song lyrics, cheering on his beloved Manche- Manchester City soccer team, Leaking details of his solo record, and yes, sending forth a seemingly never ending series of catty jabs at his brother. What? It started in 2009 when Liam tweeted, What a pair of old housewives about Noel and Russell Brand's short lived comedy radio show. Mm. And from there, the little bro went on to make fun of Noel's new band. He called him Noel Katie Hopkins Gallagher, which I don't fucking understand what that means. (laughs) Nope, me neither. And and he called him beige repeatedly. (laughs) Just beige. (laughs) And he used to tweet simply, fuck Oasis. Oh. In 2016, uh, 2016 he just tweeted simply, fuck Oasis. Noel, for his part, hasn't responded on Twitter uh, much. Uh, so Noel has a new band called High Flying Birds, which Liam called High Flying Turds.
0: Excellent burn.
2: And when Noel announced their new album, Liam tweeted simply, shitbag.
0: How old is this person?
2: Like, like in his 50s now. Right. Okay, so in 2016, Liam's now famous potato tweets begin.
0: He does not seem well.
2: No. On May 24th, 2016, Liam took the feud to a whole nother level by tweeting out a picture of Noel with the caption, potato. What? There's nothing more to it than that. But he went on to tweet about Noel being a potato at least a half dozen (laughs) more times. (laughs) Okay. He also told an interview, lots of people say I need to chill out about Noel. Not until they stop Twitter. That cunt will always get it from me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so December 2017, the day before Christmas, Liam claims that he has spoken to Noel's team and the two have re- the two sides have reached a truce. It's all good, quote, it's all good, the season of goodwill and all that, you know, he told Sydney Morning Herald, and he even tweeted a Christmas greeting toward each other. January of the next year, so um, one month later, Liam tweets, fuck the truths.
0: <laughs> oh my god
2: uh clearly he was upset with noel over some recent interviews he'd given in one noel so that he wasn't interested in reuniting oasis quote i don't particularly want to be a stadium rocker when i'm 50 i think it's undignified liam responded it's a lot more undignified to be supporting undignified supporting the undignified in stadiums red hot chili peppers youtube blah <laughs> So album three, right? In, 19, in 1997, Oasis needs to follow up What's the Story, Morning Glory. And their third album is called Be Here Now. and
0: Which is a Ram Dass book. Is it? Yeah.
2: Great. The album was recorded at multiple recording studios, including Abbey Road. And although most tracks retain the anthemic quality of the previous releases the songs on be here now are a lot longer and contain many 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 guitar overdubs so from the soundscape from definitely maybe to what's the story morning glory there's another leap forward in to be here now and probably like has gone gone too much Noel Gallagher said that this was done to make the album sound colo- as colossal as possible. Hmm. The album was highly anticipated because their first two albums were like crazy, huge right. sales. And Oasis's management company called Ignition were aware of the dangers of overexposure. So before the album's release, they sought to control media access to the album And the campaign included limiting pre-release radio play and forcing journalists to sign gag orders, which is actually a thing that happens now with movies Mm. constantly. But you sign the gag order, like the longer the gag order lasts, the worse the movie is. So, like, if you, if you aren't seeing any reviews for a movie until, like, the day before it comes out, it's mm-hmm. because the studio has not allowed, has, like, lift, you know, has had a gag order on press for the movie until so right. In
0: journalism, before. we actually call it embargoed.
2: Yeah, embargoes. I I couldn't couldn't think of the word Um, this tactic alienated the press and many industry personnel connected with the band and fueled (laughs) a large scale speculation and publicity within the British music scene Um, and it was an instant commercial success and it's actually sold faster than its two predecessors it became the fastest selling album in British chart history and it topped charts in 15 countries. It was the biggest selling album of 97 in the UK with 1.47 million units sold. And it went six, that's six times platinum in the UK. And it went platinum in the US. Um, and eh, it wasn't too good. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't good. But the, the weirdest thing about this is critics initially did not think that What's the Story was good. So they didn't know what to do with be here now they were afraid to get caught with their pants down again and say like this isn't good mm-hmm. so critics were like fucking i love it
1: uh, oh. reviewing f-
2: reviewing for the chicago sun times on its release, j ha kim considered the album as good as its two predecessors writing the 12 tracks on be here now aren't as immediately accessible as Oasis's earlier hits, Wonderwall or Live Forever, but the pop songs are mesmerizing in their intense delivery and clean execution.
0: Okay, I'm gonna need to hear one.
2: The first single is called Do You Know What I Mean? This
0: just sounds like the beginning of Wonderwall.
2: Yes, it does. <laughs> It's like some weird tape delay So yes, this is Wonderwall part two
1: <laughs>
2: but so like from a production standpoint, this is mixed like a fucking butt rock record. The drums are super present and now we have like our James Bond strings. <laughs> <laughs> helicopters because we're at are, are we at war this is before nine eleven. none of them look like they want to be this. So yeah, this is just completely overindulgent.
0: Yeah, that that was their main single.
2: This was the this was the first single from, um, from this album. Be here now.
0: So do you know who Ram Dass is? No, he was a spiritual teacher and like you know like a guru.
2: Is he the the guy that the Beatles studied with? No. She's oh. not surprising <laughs> no Beatles connection
0: <laughs> but I am wondering if they uh named it be here now as some sort of weird Beatles thing like now we have our spiritual our Indian
2: yeah yeah I mean you're probably right
0: I mean Ram Dass was American and oh, then, really? well he, you know he he co-opted Indian culture and
2: love uh that. left love America the, love that for him <laughs> yeah um, so Elisa Gardner from the LA Times said, be here now with be here. Now the band grew more ambitious and succeeded without losing ground. Although Gardner noted that the taut pop craftsmanship that distinguished the band's first two records was less prominent. Mm. So yeah, this song, do you know what I mean? Is almost six minutes long.
0: Jesus Christ.
2: Yes so this and is all rem- the
0: journals are just like hedging
2: yeah because and you can you can see in their writing they're like
0: well <laughs> well yeah
2: so liam gallagher in the documentary return to rockford says i mean it just goes to prove really journalists they know fuck all they had n- they had to second guess everything after morning glory because they got it so wrong That's why when Be Here Now came out, which isn't a great album, it got 10 out of 10 everywhere. It didn't get one bad review because they didn't want to be made to look like dicks again. And they were and they were because they because it's not half the record that Morning Glory is. After that, they properly hated us because they didn't understand us.
0: <laughs> and because we were raging douchebags.
2: Yeah, right. Well, We were just misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and some people were, some journalists were brave enough to say that this album was not good. Um, David Brown in Entertainment Weekly said, Much of the album is a messy, mucky keg of sound that constantly threatens to spill over and drown Noel's innately melodic songs. He further criticized the overly cluttered mix and overlong songs. Nevertheless, he concluded they sound more like ferocious and they sound more ferocious and confident than ever, yet less intimate and more distant,
0: less intimate, more distant. Those are kind of synonyms. But
2: yeah, right. (laughs) Ryan Schreiber of Pitchfork compared the record to its two predecessors favorably, finding instead of the unforgivable. I'm sorry finding that instead of unforgettable three to four minute pop slices, there are now six to 10 minute long epics. <laughs> um, in 2003, John Dower directed a documentary called live forever. The rise and fall of Brit pop music. Um, and critic John Sa- in it. Critic John Savage po- pinpointed be here now as the moment where Brit pop died.
0: Yes. No shit. <laughs>
2: Uh, Sa- uh, Savage John Savage said that while the album quote isn't the great disaster that everyone says he noted that it was supposed to be the big big triumphal record of the period and Q expressed similar sentiments Q magazine expressed similar sentiments writing so colossally did be here now fall short of expectations that it killed Britpop and ushered in an era of more ambitious less overblown music. Yes, so this is uh, this is Witch Gallagher talking about be here now. No.
4: What fascinates me though is the people that you meet, I sign fucking thousands of these a week. And I have people, you know, who grab me by the arm. You know, why don't you like be here now? Well, because I fucking just don't. It's your best album. Okay. I don't think it is. No, you're wrong. <laughs> That's just an opinion. How can an opinion be wrong? Yeah, well, yours is. <laughs> fucking hell. All right. Fair enough. You know, I get it a lot. You know, and um, it's some some people fucking love that record. Uh, Owen Morris was saying that today, up uh, to this day, he records bands. Or well, just the other week, he was recording a band. are just oasis nuts and this is their favorite album marilyn manson i sat up with marilyn manson one night and he went on about that record for longer than the fucking record lasts and that's 72 minutes
2: (laughs) ah yes noted tastemaker marilyn manson fucking loves be here now
0: gotta love a good rapist endorsement
2: be here now is reframed as a disappointment and then a disaster And it burned out so quickly, falling well short of the sales achieved by What's the Story Morning Glory, with many copies ending up on secondhand racks. And Noel has quickly disowned it, dismissing it in the 2003 Britpop documentary Live Forever as, quote, the sound of five men in the studio on coke not giving a fuck. (laughs) Only Liam has remained loyal, quote, at the time... We thought it was fucking great, and I still think it's great.
0: The weird thing is, like, we've heard so much from the two brothers. We've heard nothing from anyone else in the band.
2: They don't They don't matter.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Oasis continued attempting to revisit their success of their first two albums, eventually becoming a, a nostalgia act after 1997.
0: For sure. But they didn't realize that.
2: So a couple other things about the song. The song was played at the funeral of Leah Betts, who... Was a teenager who died in 1995 after overdosing on ecstasy and Oasis gave the permit, gave permission to use the track in a video reconstruction of her last hours as an anti-drug campaign. Just sad.
0: Really sad.
2: Yeah. I couldn't really, I couldn't find the video and I couldn't really find any additional info about that. It, In 2002, the British Army produced a recruitment video that used Wonderwall under footage of soldiers conducting exercises, and the producers of the video didn't realize that they needed permission to use the song. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. (laughs) And so Oasis told them to pull it, and they had to. They had to recall all the videos.
0: Oh my god. I wonder how much that cost.
2: Uh, Probably a lot. And in 2012, Liam's new new band, BDI, performed Wonderwall at the 2012 Olympic Games closing ceremony, but they had to ask Noel's permission first.
0: Jesus Christ.
2: The guitarist was also invited to perform. Noel was also invited to perform, but turned down the offer, saying that the OTT level of security and secrecy involved was like the Iran nuclear program or something. Or something. Or something. The easy to play song became a fast favorite among novice guitarists, and le- as legend has it, and it's strummed in every coffee shop, music store, house party since it dropped in '95. And it was still going strong in 2012 when a number of memes started cropping up on the internet featuring images of musicians with a tagline. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. One of the earliest examples was like a, a a photo of this dude named scumbag amateur guitar player this is the meme um so take a look do re- read me this
0: i don't know that one dot 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 here let me play wonderwall again
2: ah yes a hilarious meme <laughs> and noel gallagher learned of the ubiquity of this song and and how everyone plays it when he got a frosty reception from a guitar store employee he told guitarist magazine in 2002 after morning glory came out i was in manchester and i went to this guitar shop and there was a sign banning people from playing wonderwall
0: oh my god that's hilarious
2: when i walked in they all groaned, fucking hell man do you realize how many times we've heard champagne supernova and wonderwall over the last six months so have you heard the anyway here's wonderwall meme
0: yeah i've heard of it
2: So I tried to figure out like where this is from, and this is from knowyourmeme.com. On December 10th, 2013, YouTuber Julia Banks uploaded a video to her channel titled Anyway, Here's Wonderwall, which featured her introducing a ukulele cover of the song with that phrase before launching into a version of the song. So this is the very first Anyway, Here's Wonderwall video.
0: I'm Julia, Anyway, Here's Wonderwall. day that you're gonna shut the fuck up about christmas it's only fucking december 10th i'm telling you Mm -hmm. i've been hearing about it like since october so
2: i'm i'm with her
0: (laughs) i love christmas
2: and there are hundreds of anyway here's wonderwall versions this one is my favorite this is from romeo barrientos on youtube
1: so anyway here's wonderwall
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: What does he have? Dildo? A giant dildo. <laughs> but you know who ultimately hates Wonderwall most of all? Who? Liam and Noel Gallagher. Right? Uh, this is from Enemy. Liam was, wasn't that impressed on first listen. So the very first listen of the song, Liam wasn't that impressed. Quote, what do you think you're doing, dickhead? He shouted at Noel when the guitarist first presented it at rehearsal with a different bass line. Oasis aren't a funk band. 19 (laughs) years later, the front man has hardly warmed to it. He says, quote, every time I have to sing it, I want to gag.
0: That is like a very different tune than I've been hearing this entire time.
2: I know. Noel's not that enamored by it either. Quote, outside of England, it's the one song we're famous for all over the world and it annoys the fuck out of me. It's not a fucking rock and roll tune. There's, quite a vulnerable sentiment to it when people come up to me and say it's one of the greatest tunes ever written i think fucking hell have you heard live forever (laughs) which is another one of his songs right right (laughs) but the last word goes goes to the av club quote Wonderwall stood out for its simplicity. That's why 20 years later, now 25, everyone with a pick plays the song. But simple doesn't mean bad. The genius of Wonderwall comes from its inclusivity and lack of pretension.
0: Lack of pretension?
2: The song I don't think is pretentious. The band, of course, is.
0: How can one be without the other?
2: I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, do you get the, the feel of the pretension of the band from the song?
0: I obviously never got the feel of the pretension from the band. I was So I'm there you shocked.
2: go. Uh, <laughs> the genius of Wonderwall comes from its inclusivity and lack of pretension. Check out any open mic night and you'll see Wonderwall is the free bird of the 90s. So
0: Is it? To, I guess. I,
2: I think so. So to go out on this week, we're going to go out on a song called Anyway, Here's Wonderwall. Perfect. So this is from singer Arthur James. Anyway. Here's, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Where can people find us on the internet,
0: Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. Or for longer and weirder stuff, shoot us an email at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com.
2: And like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends it's the best way for people to find us. It's the best way to never miss an episode. And tune in next week when 90s January continues.
0: <laughs> Do, not uh, Do not miss it. If you want to support the show, go to our website, lyricsforlunch.com, and click support the show. So
2: tune in next week. And until then, I'm Aviv Rubenstein.
0: I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, don't be a wanker. Here's one I'm <laughs>